Welcome! This is the CGMI Living Springs Gospel Podcast. Stay tuned as you listen to the Word of God. So we have already done a, a summary, an overview of the book by saying that it's a letter, it's Paul's letter to the, church in, uh, to the Philippian church, and he had written it to them when he was in distress. And then it was a letter of his wish and desires for them generally. So let's start from chapter 1. It says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but to you it is safe. So it says, for me to repeat myself to you, for me to write the same thing I have probably written before, or to repeat what I have probably said before, for me, it's not grievous. Right? It says, for me, it's not grievous. For me, it's not unnecessary. But for you, it is safe. Right? Repetition, they say, is the law of what? What's repetition? The law of? I can't remember. Repetition is the law of lasting impression. So, he's saying, if I repeat it to you, if I'm repeating the same thing to you, it is safe for you so that at least if you have missed the first one, you will not miss the second one. Or if you heard the first one and you have forgotten, it is safe for you if I repeat it to you. Okay. So, verse 2 says, Beware of dogs, Beware of evil workers. I'm reading from the oldest and shrewdest King James, the old King James. It says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So, let's... Let's take a look at uh, verse 2. I would like to read verse 2 from the Amplified Version. Let me read it from the Amplified Version first. It says, Look out for the dogs, the Judaizers, the legalists. Look out for the troublemakers. Look out for the false circumcision. Those who claim circumcision is necessary for salvation. For we who are born again, have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, set apart for his purpose, and the true circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God, and glory and take pride and exalt in Christ Jesus, and place no confidence in what we have, or who we are in the flesh. I'll check, I'll read again um, the New King James, not the old one now. It says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision. Who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. What he's saying is that, he says you should beware of religious people, beware of people who are engulfed in following rules and religion. Does that make sense? People who teach the law, the rules of the law, and the obedience of the rules of the law as the means to salvation. So, beware of the people who try to push their own self-righteousness or their own self-satisfaction and self-well-doing as the means to salvation. Right? Right? So we, we know that in the in the um, early church there was the there was the conflict between those who who preached circumcision and those who believed who tried to push circumcision push circumcision as the means to receiving salvation right circumcision was a religion was an instruction that God had given to the children of Israel right to perform so it was a law it was one of the things they had to obey. But you see, when Paul had started to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, there were people who brought those same rules and tried to push them on the Gentiles and say, oh, you're not circumcised. So because you're not circumcised, you're not holy like me. Does that make sense? Because you're not circumcised, you're not holy like me. Let me bring it to today's um, church. So because you don't come to church every Sunday and attend Thursday fix, you're not holy like me. 
Does that make sense? Because you are not in a unit in church, you are not holy like me. Does that make sense? You are saved because you joined the unit in church. You are saved because you come to church like me. Do we understand now? So that's the kind of conversation that it was. So I tried to push. It says beware of people who try to push religious activities, who try to push rules as the means to salvation. Does that make sense? It says, for we, verse 3 says, for we are the circumcision, from the New King James now, it says, for we are the circumcision. Who do what? Who worship God in the spirit. Not by the things that you do, but by the who and the how that you worship. We worship him where? By the spirit. Jesus was saying that the time comment and now is when the true worshippers will do what? Worship God how? For God is the spirit and they that worship him must do it how? So Paul is saying, beware of, the, of those who preach or push religious activities as the means to salvation. Because the true salvation is of spirit. We are the testament of the new salvation. We are the testament of salvation. Why? Because we worship God how? In spirit. So let's, read, let's continue from verse 3 again. It says, for we are the circumcision. Who worship God in the spirit? One, two. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. So our joy is in Jesus Christ. There are some verses we, there, uh, there are some verses we read later on that will bring us back to this conversation. Our joy is where? In Jesus Christ. Who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. So our confidence is not in the things that we can do or we have the ability or we have been able to do. Our confidence is not in what we have done. Our confidence is in who? It's in Jesus Christ. So let's go to verse 4. I would like, let me go back to the... Should I continue with the... Okay, let me just continue with New King James. I wanted to go back to the oldest and shouldest one. It says, though I also might, though I also might have confidence in the flesh... So he's using himself as a reference and saying, I actually can have confidence in the flesh if we have to go by flesh, if we have to go by achievements, if we have to go by the things that we have done or by who we are or by how we were born. I, I should have confidence in the flesh if we have to go by that rule. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. So if you think that, oh, we should do, go by works, go by what we have done, go by... Who we were, how we were born. I also should have that. I should be able to claim that too. He starts to read his CV. He says, why? He says, because I also was circumcised on the eighth day. So if in the law of circumcision, him too was what? Circumcised when he was supposed to be circumcised. So he was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. That is to say, by the qualification that we should look at qualification for salvation, by works, I have qualified more than many. If it is by works that we should talk about salvation, I have qualified more than many. It's like Victor coming and saying, see, if it's by works, see, I was born into the house of bishop. In fact, at age 8, I was already ordained a pastor. By 12, I was a reverend. Do you understand? And then he starts to read, he says, I've been attending church three times a week since the day I was born. In fact, on a bad week, I mean, on a good week, I mean, church seven days a week. 12 out of 24 hours. Do you understand? He says, oh, I evangelize. I carry home speaker and stand by the junction. And I do it every day, morning and evening. Like tablets. So if it is by works that we should qualify, he says, I have works. He says, I'm even a Pharisee. I'm, a, I'm, of Susan, I'm even a Pharisee. 
Do we understand? So he says, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal. So if it's by whether we had zeal, he said, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So I followed the law so much that I persecuted Christians for it. Right? He says, so if it is by works that we qualify, and we have to boast, somebody has to boast in the flesh. I too can boast in the flesh. I followed the law so much. In fact, I became a Pharisee. I followed it so much that I persecuted people who, be, who did not believe the law because the, the, or, the Christian church, in the way they are started, seemed contrary to the law because of the lack of understanding. So he says he pursued it to the letter that he even persecuted those who believed who, who did not follow the law. Are we together? So verse 7. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Now, this from verse 7 to 11 is, is like when you have tried to do introduction, you're not just rush and write many things in like four verses. So before verse 7, he was simply saying, Beware of the people who preach wrong means to get salvation. Or try to push their personal worldview as righteousness, right? He says, because righteousness is not of it's not by qualification, it's not by how hard you have worked. Right? It is by the spirit of God that you have received. That's what makes you righteous. That's the means to salvation. Right? And then he begins to read his testament and says, Oh, if it's by works, I have actually qualified. I should actually brag in my flesh. But that's not how it is done. Right? And then he goes from verse 7 to, to say the very important thing. He says, everything that I count of value to my flesh, to me personally, to my flesh, everything that I think is of value, whether it is the degrees I have, whether it is the amount of children I have, like our great-grandfathers used to boast in the number of children that they have. These days, it's not something to brag in again. Those days, if you had 100 children, you're a great guy. Now people are trying to have one or two or none. It's funny. But he was saying, it's not by those things. All of those things that I thought were of value to me, all the things that I have done, all the mighty qualifications, all the mighty achievements that I have achieved. He said, I count them all loss and rubbish. That's, that's the word used in um, the New Kingdom. It's rubbish. Compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, Compared to knowing God and to understanding Him, I count every other thing that I have done or that I know or own as rubbish. That's how much it means to Him. So that the things I should glory in, the things I usually would rejoice in, they are nonsense, irrelevant, actually useless, compared. To the knowledge of Christ. Hallelujah. And it says from, uh, from verse 8. It says, yes indeed, I, I also count all things lost. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Je- of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ. So I have lost most of those qualifications he has lost. He was writing from prison. So imagine the Pharisee who used to persecute people who believe. 
right? He's now in prison for believing and preaching what he was persecuting people for. So he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, right? And I still count them as rubbish. Why? So that I may gain Christ. That I may receive the life of Christ. That I may gain the knowledge of Christ. The things that I had before, the things that I have lost, I still count them as nothing. I'm happy to lose them again. To gain Christ. He says, to gain, uh, count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Not having my own righteousness, which is me looking at myself and claiming that because of my works, I now stand right before God. Oh, because you don't know God, you are not close to God, because you don't pray up to 12 hours a day. You don't wake up in the midnight to do hour of exchange. So you don't know God like I do. So he says, that I may be found in him, not having the righteousness of my well-doing, of my personal well-doing, not having the righteousness of my good works, my personal good works, not having the righteousness of my own fleshy deeds. Not that righteousness. He says, not having the righteousness of my own righteousness, which is from the law, not by obeying the rules and regulations. No. He says, but that which is true faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Are we together? The reason I count I count them all lost. That I may gain Christ and be found in Christ. Not to have the righteousness of works or qualifications. Not to have the righteousness of my own deeds. But to have the righteousness that is of of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The righteousness that is righteousness in God is the righteousness that you receive as his gift. By faith. Not the one that you walk to qualify for. Are we together? The righteousness that is righteous before God is the one that is from God. The Bible says that your righteousness is as what? Filthy rag. I.e. when you are doing very good by your works. When you have done the best that you can do, when you are very qualified, like if it's not like a rag, you qualified the rag, like a filthy rag before God. Then scripture now says, You are what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The righteousness that is righteous before God is not the one of your works, it is His own righteousness that is bestowed on you through Christ and you receive by faith. It is God's righteousness gifted to you that you receive by faith. It is the righteousness that grace makes available for you. Not the one of your works. It is that righteousness that you have received that gives you the ability to stand before God and then receive his ability to walk his works through you. Hallelujah. It is not the works that give you, it is not the works that qualify you for righteousness. It is the righteousness that works out his works through you. It is not works for righteousness. It is righteousness for works. Are we together? So Paul has simply said, it is not of your own volition to qualify yourself for the righteousness of God. You cannot qualify for the righteousness of God by the things that you do. You can only, it has been given to you by grace. You can only receive it by faith. The works works of righteousness that then come out of you are the works that his spirit works out through you. Not the ones that you try to do. Are we together? So, verse 10. 
It says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10 and 11 seems very clumsy. So take them one after the other. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may come to a full understanding of him and the and his the power of his of his resurrection, the power that could bring him back to life. That is the life that is him, or the life that is in him. It's the same thing. So when Jesus was saying that I am the resurrection and the life, in my mind, I, I read it one before the other. I read it like, I am life, so I am resurrection. That's the way I, I interpret it in my head. Since I'm the resurrection and the life, if he is life, he is there for resurrection, because to resurrect is to receive life again. Right? To resurrect is to receive life again, is to receive life. If he's life, he's there for resurrection. For something to resurrect means for the thing to receive life. Are we together? So to resurrect is to receive him. So his resurrection, his life, his life, his resurrection. So Paul is saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The very power that could bring him back to life. The very life that could come back into life. That I may know and understand it. That is for him to seek an in-depth knowledge and in-depth relationship with him. He says, and the fellowship of his sufferings, even to understand his sufferings, to understand the things that caused him pain. And being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's a version, I think, I think is the I think is the Good News Bible version. Let me check. That explains this um, verse 11. Let me check if it's Good News. Okay. Uh, I'll just read from verse 10. It says, All I want is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering and become like him in his death, in the hope that I myself will be raised from death to life. Do we understand? If I can come to a knowledge and understanding of him, that my life becomes exactly like his own, I receive, I know, understand, and receive the power of his life, right? Understand his suffering and his death. If I can understand his death, what death meant to him, then I, perhaps I will receive the same resurrection to life. I, w- I want to go somewhere, but I know that we don't have the time to do it. It's Thursday fix. We have time to maybe we'll have time one day to talk about life and death. I've been I've been I've been saying to Pastor Bay that I will that one day we'll do a teaching on heaven and the presence of God. Maybe we'll do life and death which will help us talk about heaven a bit. So when he says, oh, that I may know him and then be raised, that I may then be raised, if I may then be raised from death to life. If I understand his death and I can be like him in death and I understand the power of his resurrection, then I can also receive the resurrection from the death that he suffered to the life that he has gained. To experience life or to understand the value of life, I think it's best explained when you understand death. If I follow Paul, he says, I want to know him so much that I will know his life, understand his pain, understand his suffering, understand his death, and be like him even in his suffering and death, that I can receive his resurrection as well. Hallelujah. What's the What's the suffering of Jesus? What was the suffering of Jesus? 
What's the suffering of Jesus? Then, I think I've said this before in church. That I don't think the most painful part of the death of Jesus was the nail in his hands. I think I've said it before. The most painful part of the death of Jesus, I don't think it was the nail in his hands. And I don't think it was the crown of thorns on his head. I think the most painful part of the death of Jesus was that life and the very nature, the life itself, a life and the very thing that gave life to life, to everything that was alive, should be joined and connected to death or should experience death and hell. I think that must have been more painful than dying in the flesh. That light should be asked to fellowship with darkness. That must have been more painful than death. So to understand his actual suffering and to understand his death, I think it helps you understand, it helps you receive, understand and to receive the life that he resurrected into. Am I making any sense or I'm talking nonsense? Faith, am I making sense? So, Paul is saying, I want to know him, understand his life, understand his suffering, the, the actual suffering. I mean, by this time, Jesus had died and resurrected. So, if he was to read and know, okay, he died, resurrected, what was the two crown of thought? Everybody knew that. But he says he wanted to understand it. It means that he, there's something he wanted to fellowship with. He wanted to understand what that thing was. So that he can receive, understand and receive the life that he resurrected into. I think I've spent enough time here. Let's go to verse 12. It's Thursday fix. Not Sunday service. Okay. Verse 12 says, I do not claim that I have already succeeded or have already become perfect. Well, I'm still reading the new uh, Good News Bible. Let me go back to the New King James. So verse 12. It says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm talking to you now. I don't think that I'm perfect. I don't think I'm perfect yet. Right? I don't think I'm perfect yet. I don't think I've attained all that there is to attain. But you see, this is what I do. I forget the past good or bad achievements or not. The works that I have done, I keep it one, I keep it behind me. And I press forward. I press forward towards one goal. What's the goal? This was the goal of the prize of the Upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, he says, whatever thing that I have done, whatever thing I have achieved, whether suffering or not suffering, whether good, great, bad, worse, terrible, I keep them in the past. And I press toward one goal. That I may attain the goal of the call of God in Christ Jesus. The call that he has called me forth in Christ Jesus. The call that God has called you forth in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. That's what he presses towards. The call that God has called you, called you in Christ Jesus. What has God called you into? Some people are thinking of acting. I think we have done it. We have done justice to that in this church. And we have read, from what we have read so far, it should be a bit obvious. First, towards that goal. 
the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Naturally, I, I would have said earlier on, some time ago, I said, oh, I pressed toward the last day so that when they blow the trumpet, I will enter heaven. But the call of God is not to wait on the last day and hear trumpet and then move to, to paradise. That's the, that's the right one. To move to paradise where my suffering shall be turned to enjoyment. Where my poverty shall be turned to riches. Don't know how many of you have poverty. Right? So it says, toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The call to fellowship with him, the call to understand, the call to know him, the call to be a representation of him, the call to be a an evidence and a witness and a testament to him. That's the call. That's the call that God has called you in Christ Jesus. That's what he has said he looks he looks forward to. That I may know him and understand what the fellowship of his suffering and be with him or like him in death. That I may be one and part and parcel with him. So he says, that's what I press towards. I forget everything that has that everything that has passed is past. I have one goal, that I may know God and be like him. Hallelujah. So from verse 15, I'm beginning to feel like I'm sounding very boring this evening. Okay, verse 15. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So he says, all of us that are mature, all of us that have received mat- spiritual maturity, all of us that we, are, that we say we have we are been in this thing for a long time or we have grown in it, let us have this same mindset. What's the mindset? That every other thing is nothing compared to the knowledge of Christ. But our one goal is to seek to know God and to be like him. Let us have this same mindset. And he says, if in any area, if any of you has a different mind, God will reveal it to you. If any, any of you has a mindset different from this, God will reveal it to you. So that you can deal with it. So let's all have this one mind. Knowing that our greatest value in life is to know Christ, know him, and to be like him. Hallelujah. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Verse 17. This is the part I like. He says, brethren, join in, the, join in following my example and not those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So follow my, follow my example. He says, follow my example. And, and note the people who also walk like that, as you have seen us. As, let me read. Let me read it from the. Let's read verse 17 from uh, the Good News Bible. It says, "Keep on imitating me, my brothers and sisters. Pay attention to those who follow the right example that we have set for you." I have told you this. Okay, I have to, I'm moving to 18. I have told you this many times before. And now I repeat it with tears. There are many whose lives make them enemies of Christ's death on the cross. Does that make sense? It says, I've told you this before many times. And I will say it now, even with tears in my eyes. And there are many people whose life make them enemies of the death of Christ and his cross, or the death of Christ on the cross. Why? How does somebody's life make him an enemy of the death of Christ on the cross? 
states it further. I will continue reading in um, Good News Bible and let you know when I'm moving back to the King James. I'll read from verse 18 again. It says, I have told you this many times before, and now I repeat it with tears. There are many whose lives make them enemies of Christ's death on the cross. Why? 19. They are going to, okay, they are going to end up in hell because their God is their belly, is their bodily desires. They are proud of what they should be ashamed of. And they think only of things that belong to this world. New King James. Verse 18. For many walk, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Whose God is what? This is the phrase I like. Whose God is what? Whose God is what? Whose God is their belly? And whose glory is in their shame? Who set their mind on earthly things? So these are the people that Paul says, according to the Good News translation, are enemies of the, in fact, according to the New King James Version, enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ, are enemies of the death and the cross of Jesus Christ. Who? Those whose God is their belly. Those whose glory is in their fleshy desires. Those whose ultimate joy in life is in the things that they have achieved by their doing. Does that not sound funny? Like it sounds funny. Can you use the enemies of the cross? The enemies of the cross, I suppose we hear like demon, fallen angels, Lucifer. Luci- no, no, Lucifer was still an angel, devil, Satan, or Satan. I that's I expect to hear enemies of the cross. The next thing I expect to hear, one of the enemies of the cross, the death and the cross, I expect to hear Satan, the devil, demons, or at the very least, herbalist. But he says, those whose God is their belly. Whose God is their belly? It says, Whose glory is in their shame? Who set their mind on earthly things? What has consumed your mind? Those whose mind has been consumed by earthly desires. Your mind is consumed, not your mind. Their minds are consumed by the things that their flesh desires. It didn't say it's a bad bad thing. To desire something. He says, but their God is their belly. I.e., their belly has taken the place, has become an idol to them. Their fleshly desires have become idols to them. What is an idol? An idol is anything that takes the place or competes with the place of God in your life. So those whose bellies have become idols unto them. Whose fleshy desires have become idols unto them. He says they are enemies of the death and the cross. Then verse 20 says, New King James Version, it says, For our citizenship is in where? Our citizenship is in where? From which also from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Let me bring out something from verse 20. Naturally, when he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, my normal thinking that our citizenship is not of earth. 
is of heaven, like some universes away. I will travel to. Right? How many people are with me in that thought? Like, that's where my sister is. So I'm not of this earth. I'm of heaven that I will travel to. But then he spoils it and he says, from which we also eagerly wait for from when, from which we are now. Our citizenship is not is our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, or the which is not heaven. Maybe the witch is not heaven. From which? Maybe it's from the citizenship. Okay, let me paraphrase. For our citizenship is in heaven, the eternal presence of God, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will do well to leave this place quickly because I will not finish it today. For our citizenship is in heaven. Not just the place, but the presence. The heaven that our citizenship is in or of is not waiting on the last day for them to blow so we will go there. It is the presence of God. That is why Jesus came to call us into it. It is from that presence that we understand and wait for Jesus Christ. Who will then do what? Verse 21, which is the last verse. It says, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body? That he may be conformed to what? His glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So the reason we are waiting for him, our citizenship is of heaven, it's of the presence of God. So as I am standing here now, I'm a citizen of the presence of God. The presence of God is here. I am a citizen of heaven. Heaven is here with me. Right? But because it, that's how I know that I'm waiting for Christ to do what transform my body to his glorious body that I may be able to experience the if you read after Jesus resurrected I think it was Pastor Duke that made mention of this one day in church when Jesus resurrected after he had resurrected people saw him right so was he physical as a human being I think it was because the Bible records that Thomas, my friend, my kind of guy, thought, put his finger inside the hole where they put the nail. Is that one your Bible? Okay, you read that too. He put his finger. That means it was physical enough for Thomas to touch. But you see, the Bible also records that the room was locked. Do you remember that? And he came in. So it was physical enough for you to touch. He was spirit enough to not be limited by the... And the women who, the, who encountered him, saw him physically, spoke to him physically, and could not describe where he went to. And he said, I remember he said unto them, you can't touch me now because I need to... do what? Go to the Father. So he had a body. I'm teaching another teaching today. He had a body that was spiritual enough to have a kind of physical interaction with the eternal presence of God. Like, the kind of interaction that you can't have now because this body that you are currently wearing is limited. If the locked door, you cannot come out of here. Or we should try it. I lock that door after we close. Those at home, you can lock yourself inside your room and try to come out. Lock yourself, pass the key under the door and try to come out or throw it out the window. And know how limited your body is. Right? 
So I think, so Paul here says, our citizenship is of heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. To his glorious body. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That there will be nothing limiting. Are we together? Chapter 3 of Philippians, I think, gives perspective to the value system of a Christian. The value system of a Christian. And sadly, I think this has been, in some, in some cases, it has been skewed a bit or bent in different ways. So I usually say that for most of us, our experience of God is based on our human needs. That's how we have come to God. That's how we have come to know God. That's the reason why we are taught to pray for needs. So we are taught to pray for needs. You are traveling, you pray for safe journey. You are hungry, you pray for food. Right? And we, we read scriptures. Jesus performed miracles. So we pray according to needs. Our experience of God is based on our fleshy desires. And we also judge God based on our fleshy understanding and desires. Right? It is it is how it is how it has been. Are we together? In fact, if you go from place to place, the 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 experience of the gospel and the way it was taught and the way it was received is usually skewed by the original beliefs and lifestyle of the people. Both those who are preaching it and those who are receiving it. Right? But Paul here is putting a giving a, a like a scale of preference and saying this is the priority, this is the order of priority for a believer. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, the understanding of Christ, the fellowship of Christ cannot be compared with anything. It is priority. Every other thing is rubbish compared to it. That's priority. That's all that should consume you. Every and any other thing should take precedence or should draw from that fellowship, should draw from that knowledge. Right? And he says, those those whose minds are consumed by the opposite, by their desires, those who have made their priorities the other thing or something else, he describes them as people who have become enemies of the death and the cross. That's how bad all things they are. Or that's how bad all things that situation is. Are we together? No wonder he writes and says that well, it is God who works in you both to will and to do. So your willing and your doing should come from the same experience or should come from the same knowledge of Christ. Are we together? Say so no matter what you have achieved. And I think that this is what Jesus was trying to explain to the rich man when he said, if you want to follow me, go and sell all your belongings. I don't think that the goal was the selling of the belongings. I think the goal was to rid our mind of the value of the belongings. To create the space of the value of the belongings. That following me should take the space that the value of your belongings currently take in your mind. Are we together? It did not say those that have things are enemies of the cross. Because that's another way it has been taught. And we say it is difficult, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle and for a rich man. That's how we sowed poverty, lack and want in the church as a testament of holy living. That's not what he said. 
said those whose minds have been consumed by it, whose bellies have become their God, those who the things have taken the place and priority of God in their life. Are we together? Because scripture also says it is he who gives you power to make wealth. So the, the problem is not the things, the problem is not the qualification, the problem is not the achievement. The problem is that it has consumed your mind. It has taken the place that God is supposed to take in your life. That is the problem. Hallelujah. Our citizenship is in heaven, is of heaven, not of the satisfaction or gratification of the flesh. Are we together? So we cannot glory in the things that our flesh has achieved because that's not how we judge ourselves. Amen. See, my citizenship is in heaven. And see, my citizenship is of heaven. There's a reason that I use is of heaven. It's in heaven, it's of heaven. Same thing. For sometimes when you say it's in heaven, your mind starts to go to America, Mars, Jupiter, Pluto. Dubai. That's heaven for you. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> God have mercy. <laughs> All right. How many people have been blessed? Thank you for listening to the CGMI Living Springs Godful Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at CGMI underscore L Springs.